Well, as we stand, let me pray for us now. Our loving Heavenly Father, we've just sung these words that the ears of all men need to hear of the Lamb who is crucified, and we believe that. And so we pray you would better equip us to be able to do that, to go and proclaim the great good news of the, the Lamb who was slain, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit. Well, as you sit down, let me encourage you to do two things. One, to uh, take up your uh, Bible and to turn to the second of those two readings that Sandra read for us just a little bit earlier, page 1067, John chapter 4. And uh, this is the, um, the fourth in our series of four, looking through John chapter 4. Uh, the other thing you might like to do is to um, find this um, uh, sermon outline uh, that has been tucked inside your service order. You'll be able to see where we're going then in the next few moments. Well, have a look with me at John chapter 4 and verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And then verse 41, because of Jesus' words, many more became believers. It is a remarkable moment. It's a terrific moment. I get excited when I read it. The whole town, it seems, came out to see Jesus and were transformed, believing in him. In my daydreams, I don't know whether you do this, I, imagining that, I imagine that happening in Fullwood. Uh, for many people in this community to believe in Christ, so many that um, they all come out on a Sunday, we, you know, we have to do an extension or you know, we have to put on more services, we're cramming them in. It would be great to happen. But the great surprise, and this passage is full of surprises, but the great surprise here in John chapter 4 is that it all began through the testimony of one woman. See verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And now look, do you believe that? The testimony of one woman can make such a difference to a whole town. See, it's an exciting thought as we, as we gear up for this Passion for Life mission in March. Christian, I want to say to you, do you believe that you, can ha- you your testimony, can have an impact on this community? Well, that's what we want to see, and uh, that, that, I believe, is, uh, is what this passage will help us to be excited about. This morning, we'll see four steps to this town believing in Jesus. And there's a surprise each time. This, this passage is full of surprises. Uh, the first thing there on the, uh, on the service, uh, on, the, uh, uh, on the outline, uh, she went uh, in verses 28 and 29, looking back. Verse 28, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did, could this be the Christ? Uh, there's the first surprise, you see. The Samaritan woman went to the town and told them to come and meet Jesus. And the surprise is this, no one told her to go. And Jesus didn't command her to go and speak for him, she just went. Verse 28, she left her water jar, went into the town and said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, could this be the Christ? Uh, it's a surprise and yet in another way it's not because this is what happens in real life isn't it when people meet Jesus and are overwhelmed by God's grace they don't have to be told to do evangelism it's a surprise for me because for the last 20 years I've been trying to tell people to do evangelism I shouldn't have to isn't that a surprise 
Uh, I quoted from this uh, book uh, last week, Stephen Lungu, Out of the Black Shadows. Um, uh, the Black Shadows was a, a terrorist organisation that Stephen Lungu was part of and he came out of that when he was converted at the very meeting that he had planned to blow up. As he walked into this tent meeting, he had his uh, explosive devices uh, with him and then he heard the preacher preaching about Jesus. And rather than blow them up, he walked forward and received the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew nothing of Jesus until that day. He hadn't been brought up in a Christian home. He'd never been to Sunday school. He just met Christ, or rather I should say, Jesus Christ met him and turned his life around. And if you know the story, you'll know that the very next day he went and uh, started to uh, preach on the buses uh, in the town that he was in. Let me quote, here he is on a bus the day after he became a Christian. I could not keep my joy to myself. I felt I was going to burst at any minute. Suddenly I jumped to my feet. People looked up at this ragged, sand-stained young man. I took a deep breath and said in a loud voice, Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what happened to me last night? Heads the length of the bus swung round. Eyebrows went up. Smiles of faint derision and frowns of faint apprehension played on people's faces. This was all they needed to make their Monday morning melancholy complete. A madman aboard their bus. So I hastened to reassure my captive audience that everything was all right because I had some really good news. I'll tell you what happened to me last night. I shouted over the gasping engine. I found Jesus. Dead silence. Then, hush, scolded one big strong man indignantly. What do you think you're doing? We don't preach on Mondays. But but I, the bus lurched to a stop in order to collect yet more passengers. The doors opened and sullen dark faces peered in, looking for a small space into which they might squeeze. In the momentary lull in engine noise, I turned eagerly to the man and thus did not see another man a seat or two away stand up and approach me. Yes, but, I began, when I was roughly seized from behind. Huh, I gasped. It's Monday, the man bellowed. No preaching. This is the white man's God. A hard thump in the lower back followed and I shot out of the door of the bus as if rocket propelled, landing face first in the clouds of dust. I was too utterly amazed to protest. As I spat grit out of my mouth, the bus gave a great roar and staggered off again. Several black faces pressed against the grimy windows and eyed me with mild interest. I scrambled stifly to my feet, feeling quite shaken, preaching was obviously going to be more hazardous than I had anticipated. I love it. Don't you love it? Nobody told him that he had to go and preach Christ. No one told him. He'd met Jesus and he went. Just as this woman. And no one told her. She met Jesus and she went and spoke of him. And as I've been thinking about that, I can be thinking that's exactly what it was for me as well. Do you remember how it was for you? I was converted to Christ on a Friday evening. On Monday morning at work, I started to tell people that something had happened to me. I didn't know what entirely, but I knew something remarkable had happened and I wanted to tell people. There's the first surprise. She went and no one told her. And look, if we want to see many in forward believing in Jesus Christ, we must go too. We can't expect them to come here. Wonderfully, people do come from time to time. We can't expect them to come to us. We must go to them. That, of course, is why we want to visit every home in the parish in our lead up to Passion for Life week. We want them to hear this wonderful good news. Will you join us? Be part of that? Come and knock on a door. Conjure up all the courage you need. You can do it. I know you can. 
Well, firstly, she went. Secondly, you notice uh, she invited. Uh, And it's what she said that is such a surprise. Again, verse 29, she said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. It's repeated again in verse 39. That's what they remembered about her testimony. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. It's remarkable, isn't it? This is the surprise. It is remarkable that this woman would want to go back into town and say this. See, just think about it. The woman, uh, the people of this town have treated this woman like a piece of trash. Yet she wants to introduce these people to a man who can tell them every gory detail of her life. Uh, see, we've seen it over these last few weeks. She was a social pariah. People didn't want anything to do with her. At the beginning of the chapter, in verses 6 and 7, we see her drawing water on her own in the middle of the day. She was on her own because she was a social outcast. She had a reputation. She had been rejected by the entire town because she'd messed up in life. Do you remember verse 18? She'd been married five times and was now living with someone who wasn't her husband. This woman had a checkered past, to say the least, a, a colourful history. And yet, having met Jesus, she rushed into town and said, verse 29, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. You'd have thought she'd have wanted to keep quiet about it, wouldn't you? I've really enjoyed reading this book recently, uh, Tim Chester's book, You Can Change. Uh, He writes the book to try and help us to uh, get rid of those besetting sins that we can't get rid of, you know, those things that have been with us for years. It's a great book. Uh, But I was particularly struck when I read him quoting John 4. In John 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well at noon. Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun, sang Noel Coward. You gather water in the cool of the early morning. But she came at midday to avoid the rest of the community because of the shame that she felt. After she's met Jesus, however, she runs to the community she's been avoiding and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. The good news for her was that Jesus told her everything she'd ever done and still offered her living water. She no longer had to hide. And it's this testimony that draws the townspeople to Jesus. We can confess our sin to another, to another, to one another, because there's no longer any need to hide. Grace sets us free. It's great, isn't it? Grace sets us free. There's no longer any need to hide. That's why this woman did what she did. The gospel of grace. In Christ I'm accepted, I'm forgiven. Not because I'm a a good person, I'm not a good person, but because of his death on the cross. I'm loved despite what I am. And the good news is abundantly clear in this story. If this woman, a woman, a Samaritan woman, with a murky history, if this woman is acceptable to God, then anyone is. Jesus really is the saviour of the whole world. It is such a surprise. This woman is saved. This woman was acceptable to God, accepted by God. With her past, you'd have thought she'd have been rejected and judged. With her past, she thought she had no hope before God. And so, you see, she was swept up in grace. She knew she was a sinner, but in Jesus, she'd met the one who could forgive her. She'd met the one who would forgive her. And that was the most wonderful and liberating experience. See, as as Tim Chester writes, grace means we don't have to hide. And that means three wonderful things, three truths that I've I've written on on the handout. With God's grace, firstly, there are no masks. 
See, I don't have to pretend with God. I don't have to wear a mask. God knows exactly what I'm like, yet he loves me anyway. That is so liberating. Do you know that feeling? That's what this woman experienced when she met Jesus Christ. That's why she could run back into that town. And so with Jesus, I go through life knowing the wickedness of my heart, and boy is it wicked, yet looking at the cross and saying to myself, Jesus loves me anyway. God knows exactly what, I like, what I'm like and there's nothing I need to hide. So it's wonderful. You don't need to pretend with God. And if you don't need to pretend with God, you don't have to pretend with other people either. There are no masks. Secondly, there's nothing to prove. A Christian author, Philip Yancey, wrote, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more and there's nothing I can do to make him love me less. See, grace means that I'm loved unconditionally. You know, I meet a lot of people that have never, ever experienced unconditional love in their life. People tell me of their family backgrounds where they always had to achieve to be loved. They were loved if they passed the exams. They were loved if they got the right job. They were loved if they produced grandchildren. That is how it can be in a place like Fullwood. In this leafy suburb, we're surrounded by achievers, aren't we? More degrees per capita, did you know, than in any other part of the country here. In Fullwood, everybody's made it. Everybody's got it all together. Now, I know that's not true, but that's how it seems. I know there are tons of broken hearts and damaged lives and shattered dreams in Fullwood. And I know that success doesn't mean happiness and contentment and fulfilment and all the things that really matter. But that's the impression that's given, isn't it? Everybody's got it all together. Unless I achieve, then I'm a nobody. See, in this life, love comes with a price tag. I'll love you if, if you're young, if you're successful, if you're beautiful, if you're athletic or whatever it is. Well, let me tell you, there's a moment of amazing joy and liberty when I realise that grace means God loves me anyway, even though I'm ordinary, even when I'm a failure, even though I really mess up like this woman. Understanding grace means no masks, nothing to prove, and no, judge, no grudges. There need no be no grudges. You see, because I've been forgiven so much and been accepted by God, I can learn to forgive others who cross me. That's what we saw with this Samaritan woman. She had every reason to bear a grudge against the people, the, the people of the town. The way they treated her. Cut her off, ignored her. I guess the look she got, the gossip about her, she'd have had every reason to be bitter, but it was none of it, none of it. Having discovered wonderful grace, forgiveness and acceptance from the Lord of all, she can't wait to tell others. She's forgiven them, you see. I just want them to know, it's great news. She bears no grudges against them. She wants them to discover the good news that she had discovered. The gospel does that. It means we can forgive others because God has forgiven us infinitely more. Remember how the Lord Jesus prayed for his executioners as he was dying? He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he taught his followers to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. C.S. Lewis understood this truth when he wrote his essay on forgiveness. He wrote these words. I think they're, they're quoted on the, on the handout. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. See, I, do, I, I keep meeting people who are 
eaten away inside because someone has hurt them in the past and they can't let it go. And so they get into this downward cycle of of blame and pain and it's so destructive. Look, grace melts my stubborn heart when I feel deeply hurt by another human being and it gives me the resources to forgive as I look at what I have first been forgiven. That's what we see with this woman. With the gospel of grace then, I can be honest about my failures, that I am a failure. I know how you feel. I am a moral failure. I am an academic failure. In some ways, I am a social failure. I have failed. And I can admit that openly because I am loved by God. And if you can't cope with it and you ignore me, if you reject me, that's okay because I'm a child of God loved by him. Isn't that liberating? That's why this woman went to the people of the town and said, verse 29, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. First then, she went. Second, she invited. Third, they came. See, we see what she said. And verse 30, they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Uh, Verse 39, what do they remember? They went to Jesus, verse 39, because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. Now, now, again, it's a surprise, but as I'm thinking about this, at first glance, it's not a surprise at all. It's why trashy newspapers like the News of the World sell so well, isn't it? We love to hear all the dirt on people's lives. We love all the gory details. In fact, that is, of course, why we are such hypocrites, in that we love to read about all the things that we say we're so outraged by, and we all do it. Look, I used to market newspapers for a living. I know what sells them, and largely it isn't good news stories. Now, at that level, I'm not surprised at all. Verse 30, they came out of the town and made their way towards Jesus. Yeah, I bet they did. They were going to hear all the gory details about this woman's life. And whenever I read this, I imagine that the men of the town would have been leading the way. They really wanted to know. So, on the one hand, it's not a surprise at all. But on the other hand, just think about it. If this man could tell this woman everything she ever did, then he can tell the rest of the townsfolk everything they ever did. Jesus can do that. See, we saw it last week back in chapter 1 with Nathanael. Jesus says, "I, I know everything about you even before I've met you. Here is the God from whom no secrets are hid. That is what we read in Psalm 139. Jesus is the God of Psalm 139 who knows me inside out and upside down, who knows my thoughts, who knows everything I'm going to say before it's even on my tongue. Now, do you want to meet someone who knows everything about you? Look, we all have skeletons in the cupboard, I do. We all have a past, I do. Some of us have a pretty murky things in our history, I do. Things we're really deeply ashamed of, oh yeah, I have those. And we become experts at hiding those things. Oh, you don't know my past. Why would I want to go to someone who could tell me everything I've managed to keep under lock and key all my life and someone who actually then could tell everyone else about that if he wanted to? Well, look with me at the end of the passage in verse 42 and I think we get the answer as to why they went. You see, right at the end of the passage, verse 42, look what they say. We know that this man really is the saviour of the world. See, they wanted a saviour. 
They wanted a rescuer. That's why they went, now we've heard for ourselves and we know this man really is the saviour of the world. They needed a saviour, a rescuer. We all do. We need someone who can deal with our past. Someone who can cleanse us from it. Someone who can offer us a fresh start. Over the years, we learn to present ourselves in the best light. We write resumes and, and CVs that massage the facts, don't we? We learn to hide the character traits that are, well, shall we say, less desirable. We learn to keep hidden all the stuff that is really despicable. We, we learn to do that. But living like that is hard work. What happens if someone finds out what I'm really like? And even while I can keep all this stuff from you, I still know the truth. And God certainly does. See, but that's what, so much of what our life is about. It's, it's putting up this, this, this mask to try, and, to try and get approval. Do you see how we're desperate for approval and acceptance all the way through our lives? If you're not convinced, just think about how you feel when, when you've had a compliment, when someone notices you and congratulates you on something, perhaps the work you've been doing. Because you got the right compliment from the right person today, your life's okay, everything's well, you're walking on air. But tomorrow, if you get the wrong kind of statement from the wrong kind of person, or you get a note or an email or, or hear a rumour, your life is destroyed. You see, we're, we're, we're all desperate for approval. We're such fragile people. Our lives are based on approval and acceptance. Now, this woman looked for it in men. Well, we won't all look for it in another human being, but we're all looking for it. What about you? What, what do you build your life on? What, what are you relying on to make you acceptable? Now, is it the fact that you're smart, you're a clever person? Oh, I can get myself through life. Or is it the fact that you're good looking? Well, hey, let me tell you something. Your looks are fading. Is it... I'm sorry, I've just... Some people seem surprised by that. I look in the mirror and realise it every day. You know, sort of everything's going south, as they say. I've got a, I've got a furniture problem. You know, everybody ends up with a furniture problem with, the, with their, their chest in their drawers. I mean, it's the way we all go, isn't it? Anyway, your, your looks are going. Or, or, or what is it you're, you're, you're relying on? Is it that you've got a healthy bank balance? Well, wake up. A recession's come along. Or do you feel fine because you have your health? Well, look, it's going to go one day. And one day I'll be visiting you in hospital or or you'll be visiting me in hospital, or neither of us will be visiting each other because we're both too ill to visit each other. I don't know what it will be, but do you see the point? We're all pinning our hopes somewhere, and, and the things we're pinning our hopes on are flimsy and fragile, and, and deep down we know that, don't we? We know that those things can't deliver. They can't bring us forgiveness. All they can do is cover up the mess we've made. And when your life is all about that, trying to cover up, it's hard work. It's going to be no good when we come before the living God either. We need a saviour, someone who knows everything about us and who can forgive us anyway. We need someone who can forgive us for all the times we push God out of our lives. That's why these people went out to find Jesus. Because yes, he does show us everything about us and that is uncomfortable, but they knew they needed one who could save them. They were looking for the saviour of the world. 
And that's what I want you, as I said a couple of weeks ago, to keep your nerve about as we head towards passion for life. As you look at your friends and neighbours, they need the saviour of the world as well. They might look as if they don't, but they do because they're looking for acceptance. They're hiding things. Wouldn't it be good if they could come to the one that means they don't have to hide anymore? Steps to faith then. First she went. No one told this woman to go, but she went. Second, she invited. She invited people to meet a man who could tell them everything she ever did. What a surprise. Third, they came. Even though Jesus could tell them everything about their lives. There's a surprise. And fourth, they believed. Oh, we've seen it already, but look again at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. There's the surprise. They believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. What a surprise. In the past, they didn't want anything to do with her. But now, they listened to her testimony. And what do we read? Verse 40. Uh, When the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. It's a remarkable moment. The chapter began with Jesus having a conversation with a woman. In fact, even in those days, he was talking to a woman was amazing. But he was talking to a Samaritan woman, even more amazing, with a terrible history, even more amazing. That's how it all began. Yet just two days later, here in verse 42, the whole town are declaring Jesus to be the saviour of the world. And the turning point, the woman's simple testimony. As we close, I wonder if you've realised the the power of testimony. The power of telling people the deep difference that Jesus has made in your life. I was thinking about this this week. I tell people my testimony all the time. It might surprise you to hear when people talk to me, they, they usually ask me things like, oh, how did you end up in the church? Meaning, how did you end up being ordained? I tell them how I became a Christian. Because I'd have never been ordained if I hadn't become a Christian. I know some people do, but I wouldn't have. So I tell them how I became a Christian. And, you know, more often than not, in evangelistic conversations, I tell them my testimony more than I go into great detail about some big theological problem that they've got. You can do that. Any Christian can do that. Tell people why you're a Christian. How you became a Christian. What a difference Jesus makes in your life. For this woman, she did it in a sentence and... It is a brilliant sentence. Look at the the genius of her words. Back in verse 29, chapter 4, verse 29 again. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? It's just one sentence, but it is brilliant because three things as we close on the back here. It's a statement, it's an invitation, and it's about Jesus. And as we head towards the Passion for Life week, I want to say, can you learn to do this? These three simple things. Firstly, make a statement about what Jesus has done for you. What a difference he's made in your life. Secondly, invite people to meet Jesus. See, that's what she did. Come, come and meet a man. Come and meet this Jesus. Could he be the Christ? That's why we lay on evangelistic events. That's why the Passion for Life events are going to be laid on, so that you can invite your friends to learn about Jesus. You say, I'm not sure I know what to say. You don't have to say anything. Invite them and we'll do the talking. And the third point, point to Jesus. I think that's why this, this woman's words are so brilliant. They point to the Christ, don't they, you see? 
come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? Point to Christ. And we don't want people to follow Jesus because our lives have been changed. We want them to follow Jesus because they learn for themselves he is the saviour of the world. And you might just notice that uh, that happened here. How did it happen? Verse 41, because of his words, many more became believers. It is through hearing the word of God that people become believers. Four simple steps then. We go because we've been overwhelmed by grace. We invite and then people come and then they believe. And that is our prayer as we head up towards Passion for Life Week, that it would be like this, that many people in Poolwood would put their trust in Jesus. This happened through one woman. Look how many there are here. On a Sunday, there are hundreds of us. Imagine what an impact we could have if we all went and did this. It's an exciting thought, isn't it? That people would put their trust in the Saviour of the world. Let's pray together. Now, Father, as we look at this, this whole town coming out to hear about Jesus, many, many of them then believing in Jesus, now we see the truth of your words in this passage that um, the, the harvest is ripe. People are wanting to know the Saviour of the world. And we pray that we would believe that, that we, like this woman, would say this simple thing, come and see, uh, come and meet a man, and that we would give our very simple testimony and that as a result of that, many people in this village, in Forward, would, would come along to hear more and that they too would discover the Saviour and the one who, in his grace, uh, can free them, liberate them from all the pretending, all the hiding, all the masks. And we pray, Lord, that you would do this work among us for your praise and glory. Amen. Well, we're going-